Well, good morning, Chapel family. It's good to be with you this morning. We're in the midst of a study of the book of Ephesians. I appreciate Pastor Aaron's excellent teaching while I was gone on vacation and also last week. If you haven't noticed already, our theme this morning has to do with music. We've been singing lots of songs. I've already been blessed. I love all the different songs we've already done this morning. I love music and this Pastor last week, Pastor Aaron, he ended at verse 21 of chapter 5, and those last few verses, verses 19 to 21, talk about music, and I couldn't let the opportunity go by without myself taking some time to focus in on those few verses and talk this morning about music. The great reformer Martin Luther was a lover of music. He once said this, he said, next to the Word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. I think I agree. He also said this, he said, a person who does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the brain of asses and the grunting of dogs. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever been brave enough to say that to church, but I will say that I think he's got some point. Music is a great gift. It's certainly one of God's greatest gifts, I think, to us. And it is a great privilege, it's a great joy for us to take that gift of music and turn it back around to use it to bring glory to God. Christianity has been called the singing religion. Music is in our spiritual DNA. If you go back to the Old Testament and our Jewish heritage, uh, they are, it is loaded with songs. Not just in the Psalms, which is the songbook of the Old Testament, but all throughout the Old Testament you will find music, songs of celebration, songs of mourning, songs of prayer, songs of remembrance songs of battle, songs of victory. You'll find that there are quiet songs of personal worship and personal reflection. You'll find that there are families singing in their homes, families singing as they travel along their way, going up to the festivals in Jerusalem to worship. The songs of ascent in the book of Psalms are like that. There, there is great loud orchestra and choirs in the temple worship. There are all kinds of instruments. There are there are lyres and strings, brass, trumpets, there's flutes and tambourines and cymbals and on and on. There are professional singers, there are skilled musicians, and there are also, we find, folks who can just make a joyful noise, as it says in the Psalms, make a joyful noise to the Lord. We come to the New Testament, and the New Testament as well is filled with music. The New Testament story begins... In the Gospel of Luke, as he begins, chapters 1 and 2, you find four songs. The song of Zacharias, the song of Mary, the song of the angels, the song of Simeon. We see in that last night before the crucifixion as Jesus is there in the upper room with the disciples, they sing a hymn together. Paul and Silas sing in prison and the place shakes. They do the jailhouse rock, we might say. The Bible ends with the book of Revelation, which contains several, numerous actually, songs and description of great singing and music in heaven. 
something you may not have known before. The Bible tells us that not only do God's people sing, but Zephaniah 3.17 has a remarkable little passage tucked away in that little book in the Old Testament. It says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you note that? God sings over us. We sing to Him and He sings over us. There are dozens of calls in the Scriptures in the Old Testament and also in the New that that calls for us, for you and me, to join together in singing as the people of God. This passage before us this morning here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 is such a passage. Let me read. I'm going to back up just a little bit just to give the uh, get us a running start. Ephesians 5, I'm going to start in verse 15. Look carefully, therefore, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why do we sing in the church? Well, besides the fact that it calls us to do so, there's good reason for it. Sadly, if you were to look around in, I think, the contemporary church at large, and you ask that question, why do Christians sing? Why do they have music in the church? You might come up with a lot of different answers. You might think that the reason for music in the church, it's just entertainment. It's here to draw a big crowd with great music. Or you might come to the conclusion that music is there and used in the church to simply make us feel good, to make us feel worshipful, to make us feel warm and fuzzy. Or you might think as you look around that music is used to manipulate people. Music can be used that way. And maybe it's used that way in the church to manipulate people to some desired response. You know, we need the right music to get people to have some emotional experience or the right music to move them to give some money or the right music to move them to walk down an aisle and to make some decision. Those are abuses, but not biblical reasons. The passage before us this morning gives two reasons why we sing, two purposes for which music should be valued in the church. The first, we find verse 19, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Music in the church is to be to the Lord. It's to be, in other words, worship. It's usually what we think, if we think of any purpose for music in the church, we think of worship. We sing to honor God. This purpose of singing in the church is vertically oriented. It's used to the Lord. Two things that music is especially useful for in worship and especially valuable for. First of all, music has a great intrinsic 
quality, a great ability to express emotion more than words could ever do. And so singing helps us to express our hearts to God in worship. Another reason why music is of great value in corporate worship as we gather together as the church is because music helps unite our hearts. You see, music unites us in, in, a, in performing a united act of worship and proclaiming a united message as we sing together and sharing a united heart as together we worship God. So those are great reasons for music in the church. But there's another key reason for music that's here in the text. It says speaking to one another, addressing one another. The parallel passage, if you go over to the book of Colossians and Colossians chapter 3 and much of the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians are very similar. And and Colossians 3.16 is almost identical to this verse. And there, as it's talking of music, it says teaching and admonishing one another, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. A second purpose of music, you see, is speaking to one another. Singing is intended to help you and me to communicate and to help us learn and to help us remember truth. That's why Martin Luther said, and by the way, this this aim of music is horizontally oriented. Martin Luther said that The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man so that he should proclaim the Word of God through music. So the purpose of music is to teach, to proclaim truth to one another. Music is wonderfully effective helping you and me to learn and to remember things. Advertisers have known that for millennia, which is why they use jingles in their advertisements. They use music because we remember it. And I give you a tune, you can give me the words because you learn the words with music. Most of you can probably not even say the alphabet without going A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And you say it that way because you learned the song that way. H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Because we learned it with music. My wife has been an elementary teacher, kindergarten teacher for many years, and I tell you, her classroom was filled with songs because that's how we learn. I think it's perhaps the most neglected area of contemporary church music today because if you go back and you study the songs in Scripture and you also go back and study the historic songs of the church, what you quickly notice is that they emphasize and the emphasis of the music is the content of teaching. See, the emphasis pretty much in contemporary music is the emotive quality of music and not so much the educational value, how we learn and we memorize theology and Scripture through music. But our text goes on then to give us three types of music in the church, three types of songs. And as you go and you look at the list of songs that are here, what you realize is that rap is not listed. First thing I noticed, Neither is rock music listed here, and neither is country, nor jazz, nor bluegrass, nor opera, nor whatever your favorite type of music is, it's not listed here. You didn't notice that. 
Because I cannot find a place in Scripture that condemns nor endorses any style of music. What the Scripture talks about is the content of the message. And whether it's aimed at God or whether it's used to worship someone or something else. So our text here gives us three types of songs, three types of music. The first one it talks about is psalms. Psalms is not just the book of psalms in our Bible. What psalms refers to is Scripture put to music. It's the Word of God set to music. It might come from the book of psalms, but it might be one of the other songs in Scripture or just any part of Scripture that's set to music. We like to do that around here when we can. Many of you remember... Uh, you, many of you can quote the verse Matthew 6.33 and the reason many of you can quote it is because you learned to sing it well, it's one of those comfort songs that goes back for many of us to the old days it's a great way to learn scripture but that's not all he says there are psalms but he also says there are hymns now the way you and I generally think of hymns is a hymn is an old song Anything that was written, you know, before 1960 or 1950 or 1930 or whatever, that's a hymn, but that's not the real definition. A hymn, you see, is a song that is addressed to and focused upon God. A hymn, then, can be ancient or a hymn can be modern. We've sung one this morning, but... Uh, it's addressed to God. It's about Him. And it's the great response to God. Adonai, that means Lord. We understand who God is and worship Him as He is. We must say, my Adonai, my Lord, my Master. So we've seen psalms and hymns and he goes on and lastly he says they're spiritual songs. It's kind of the, the rest of things. It's the rest of music, but it's not just any music. It's specifically it's songs that honor God, but they're not directly Scripture. And they are aimed towards one another, towards us. They might contain a testimony or might contain teaching or encouragement or comfort. So we've seen psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The text goes on to tell us one more thing we ought to know about music and singing in the church. And that is that there are three attitudes that should guide our singing. In verse 19 it says, make melody or make music with your heart to the Lord. Take that to me. Me and I need to be engaged in music when we sing. In 1761, many of you know the name John Wesley. He wrote some instructions on congregational singing. I found interesting. Number four in his list said this. He said, sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. I realize that people haven't changed, have they? Hundreds of years later, but we still come to church, and I still look out, and a lot of you are like, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. What time is it? <laughs> Lustily doesn't mean full of lust. What it means is, it means wholeheartedly. It's the opposite of half-hearted disinterested, sleepy, you know, or robot-like, going through the motions. Secondly, 
Verse 20 says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second attitude that we need is gratitude. We need to be grateful. May I say, friend, if you come to church and you have little desire, little interest in singing to God, I think that if you really give a little honest soul-searching, a little self-evaluation, it will likely reveal you have an ungrateful heart. See, I think a thankful heart can't help but sing. Like we sang earlier, how can I keep from singing your praise? When, when you and I realize what all God has done for us, when we realize how much He loves us, it demands a response from us. Lastly, Verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As you and I sing, there should be a humble submission to one another. We submit to one another because of Christ. And I think that if we apply this to our singing, and we should, that it has huge implications. Those of you who have been around for the rest of our studies in the book of Ephesians, you remember our theme for our study here in Ephesians is called together. It's recognizing that as believers in Christ, we are called together to live in unity with one another. And to me, one of the saddest, saddest phenomenons of the modern church is separation, even friction over musical styles. You and I are united by our relationship with Jesus Christ. We saw a couple of weeks ago, that's not something we are to be united. It says we are. We already are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are united with me. I am united with you because we are united in Christ. It is a fact. And that should show up in the way that we treat one another, in the way we serve together, the way we minister to one another together, and the way we worship Christ. Our unity, therefore, is we're united by our relationship with Christ and our unity shouldn't be centered around our particular preference for style of worship or of music. It's distressing to me that we live in a day and an age where you will look around and you will very often find believers who are neighbors or believers who are friends or believers who are family biological family and find them all worshiping in different services or in different churches simply because they don't like the same music. And that just really tears at my heart. I hate that. Don Husted, a musician from several decades ago, said this. He said, we don't want the music we use for worship to become music we worship. But I fear that's what often has happened in our era. What happens is we end up focusing on ourselves instead of focusing on Jesus and we make it about the music that we like and we make it about how it makes us feel instead of how Jesus feels. And we turn music into self-love and into idolatry. If we apply this call for humble submission to our singing, I think it's a radical thing. Because what it means is that you and I can no longer be musical snobs. And the problem is that most of us are musical snobs. 
if we're honest. See, we come in and we, if we go into our church or some other church or, and we, we hear the music and so often our reaction is this. And tell me, you look in the mirror, you say, so often we go in and we go, oh, this music is too loud. Oh, this music is too upbeat. Oh, this music is too somber, too staid, too boring. This music is too old. I don't like country music. Oh, I hate southern gospel. Oh, I don't like, you know, I don't like contemporary. I don't like organs. I don't like guitars. Burn them all. Have you ever said something like that? Even remotely? See, the reality is we all have different tastes. May I say this in love as your pastor? Get over it! (laughs) Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is what it says, does it not? If we apply that in our worship We will be what God desires for us to be, and that is gracious people. When the message of the music honors Jesus Christ, and the music happens to be in your style, which is not my favorite style, see, I can still worship with you because I'm not the focus. Jesus is, and you are for me. And if we're here to gather for worship and the music happens to be in my favorite style and not yours, then I hope, brother and sister, that you can still worship with me because you're not the focus, but Jesus is. You know, so when you come to the chapel, I can almost guarantee that at least some week, if not every week, you're going to hear some music you don't like. And hopefully, at least on occasionally, you're going to hear some music that you do like. That's not accidental, it's intentional. Not because we want to play music you don't like, but rather because we aim at being a family. There's a lot of folks here with an awful lot of different tastes. That's part of being a family. And when you're in a family, at least in my family, we don't always get what we want. And probably not in yours either. And if somebody in your family is getting everything they want, that's not normal because somebody else isn't getting what they desire. So in a family, when we don't get what we want, We love and we honor the others in the family by rejoicing with them when they get what they enjoy. That's what a loving family does. Here at the chapel, we try to draw from and we try to remember and we try to learn from the rich heritage of music of the church from past generations. We also seek to honor our infinitely creative Creator God with fresh and contemporary music because the Scripture calls for us, as we read earlier from Psalm 98 in verse 1, where it says, Sing to the Lord a new song. 
By the way, I can find a half dozen passages in Scripture that tell us that same thing. We are to continually be creative and come up with new ways to express worship to God. We, if all we sing is the old stuff, we're not following Scripture. We should be singing the brand new fresh stuff. Both and. But above all, it's our desire here, whatever the style, our aim is to proclaim the truth to one another and to sing and to make music in such a way that it honors our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we finish in prayer? Father, thank You that there is happiness, there is joy in Jesus Christ. Thank You that there is security there as saying that we know that You hold the future and You hold our hands. We don't need to fret and worry. But God, I pray that as we leave here today that indeed we would overflow with the joy of the Lord. Father, thank You for the family of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ into which You've put us, a diverse bunch of folks. Thank You that there are oldsters and hipsters in the body of Christ. Father, I pray that You would unite us in one voice with one heart to give praise to You, to serve You. Lord, forgive us for our short-sightedness and our selfishness and our fact that sometimes we judge others and sometimes we just dismiss others because we don't like their style or Lord, how petty that is and how wrong it is. So, Father, change us if we need changing. Father, above all, may we focus on Jesus Christ, love Him and serve Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. May He be honored and glorified in us and in this church. We ask these things in His name. Amen. Happiness is the Lord. I pray you leave here today with a song in your hearts and with this message on your lips. There's joy in Jesus. Let's go share it with the world that needs to hear. God bless you all. Good day.